Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. God is a good God, and it is a blessing to serve Him tonight through the ups and through the downs. I'll tell you, uh, 2020 has been the craziest, insanest, psychopathic year of my life. Good Lord, what a crazy year it's been. But uh, I learned a lesson. Don't ever say it couldn't get any worse. <laughs> Don't say those words because you never, never know what will happen next. I want to uh, encourage you tonight that even through insanity, even through crazy times, even through my daughter burning herself with, <laughs> with ramen noodles, and uh, people breaking their bones and getting sick, and COVID-19, and upheaval in the streets, and many, many things we could think about. Murder hornets. Whoever knew there was such a thing? Good Lord, there's hurricanes. There's some storm I never heard about that went through Iowa, something like Depeche Mode, or I couldn't remember what it was called. And... People, they're saying that because of this storm that passed through Iowa, there's so much corn that was damaged that gas prices are going to go up and that beef prices are going to go up because they most of the corn they use to feed the animals. So we're all going to suffer. Our cheeseburgers are going to be more expensive. Only in 2020. What is going on? But th this started <laughs> as and with the intention to encourage you. Because what I want to say tonight is that through all of the insanity, through all of the craziness, through all of the unpredictability that life throws at us, God is still on the throne. And He is still good. And He will not let us down tonight. Can you say amen? I want to uh, ask you to turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We've been going through some... Sermons from the book of 1 Corinthians, I was really moved to go through uh, and preach from some of the highlighted verses in the book of Corinthians. This is not necessarily an expository preaching plan, but the book of 1 Corinthians is so powerful because it is a, the city of Corinth, if you've done any study in your Bible and his history of the city of Corinth, a Greek city there. There are so many parallels to the modern time that we are living in with the city of Corinth. And so many of the things that they were going through are similar to what we are going through here in the United States in 2020 and what many of us are going through personally. And that's why I believe that this book is specially relevant in the time that we're living in. On Sunday, when I 
uh, began looking in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we looked at how God has called us saints and how that is so crazy to believe. Because, as I mentioned on Sunday, when I look at myself in the mirror, I don't necessarily always see a saint. It's easy for us to focus on our flaws, to focus on the things that are hindering us, rather than to see, a, see ourselves the way that God sees us. And that is that God sees our potential. And there was an encouragement that if God has called you to be holy, He never called you to something that you cannot do. And that is very encouraging because the Holy Spirit lives in us, not just to uh, you know, have a free place to live, the Holy Spirit lives in us to do something powerful in us, and that is to make us holy. The Holy Spirit makes us holy. I know this is complicated so far. Then we looked in the evening service about the destinations of life. Paul began to speak about the message of the cross. And to those who are perishing, the road to destruction, that, that message of the gospel is foolishness. It is something to be crumpled up and thrown away. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. That message of the cross, that message of, of salvation, it is the thing that sets us apart. Not because of how good we are or how good we can be. It is because of how good He is for saving us. And I want to uh, continue in that thought tonight as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2 as we think about the power of God. Now, I want you to take a moment to just consider God's power. Now, we have examples in this life of powerful things. When you think of powerful things, what do you think of? Powerful things in this life. Uh, when I think of the word power, I think of, uh, you know, V12 engines, gasoline and uh, explosions, you know, things that you would see on on uh, action movie. Uh, you, you think about uh, photon torpedoes in Star Trek. You think about nuclear weapons. You think, and, and truly, those are powerful things. In the physical realm, anything that has power is able to change its environment, right? If I had a can of gasoline up here with me, it might be in a stable condition, but how many understand that there is power reserved in that gasoline? And under the right circumstances, treated in the right way, that power can either be released as something very destructive or something very useful. The same is true when we start to think about God. The power of God is something that we have to get a grip on tonight. And I pray that this message, that you will realize that God's power, yes, He has power of judgment, He has power of condemnation, God is right to destroy the wicked, God is right to come against evil in our world, and God is powerful to bring judgment. 
But that same power, listen, God started this whole thing by displaying his power of creativity. God made the heavens and the earth. That was his first act of power. And listen, God, the power of God was not in some explosion. The power of God was in his word. He spoke. God's words spoken, they literally caused molecules to come into existence. First, there was nothing except God. Then God spoke, and there was everything. Now, if you want to talk about power, there is nothing in heaven or on earth more powerful than the Word of God. And that's why when John starts speaking about Jesus, he says, Jesus is the Word made, what? Flesh. And so this Jesus that we are experiencing is literally the power of God in human flesh. And it is something tonight that many Christians, we do not experience this the way that God wants us to. I believe that you and I, as God's people, we should be people that experience God's power. And if we're not, there's something going on. This is what this message is all about tonight, and so that's the name of this third part of our journey through Corinthians. I called it the Corinthian Crash Course, and the title of this message is Experiencing the Power of God. Before you leave tonight, I want you to know, you can experience God's power. Let's read this scripture, 1 Corinthians 2, beginning with verse 1. It says, I, brethren, when I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but they were in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I want to tell you, there is revelation in these words here tonight. If you'll grasp this before you leave this place. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus. Lord, we recognize tonight that this, uh, this life you've called us to is more than just observing the power of God at work in other people. But God, you have called us to experience the power of God in our everyday lives. I'm praying that your people tonight would not be satisfied with the ho-hum religion of sitting in chairs and clapping hands, but God, to realize that this Christian life ought to be a life of power, power with you and power with others. We thank you tonight for all that you're going to do in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, amen. I want to begin by thinking about the life of power. And tonight, the world thinks and the world preaches 
a certain kind of advancement of power. The world, if you, uh, if you observe the, the, the ways of the world, if you are plugged into the ideas of the world, the philosophies of the world, you will very quickly understand that the world has its own power structure, right? And in the world, there are many different forces that are seeking to proclaim their power or to uh, have a dominion over a certain realm. We can talk about many different things here. One of the most obvious is money. Obviously, the more money you have, the more power you think you're going to have. The world will tell you that if you could just have a little more money, that you would have power to do greater things. There is a sense of truth in that. You know, if you have $1,000 in your pocket, you have more freedom than if you have only $10 in your pocket. That's true. But the world gives us this picture, the pursuit of wealth, the pursuit of more and more earthly goods, material goods, equals greater power over this life. In fact, the world will also teach us that the more money you have, the more influential you can be. Yes, we know there's a kernel of truth there. Money means influence. You can purchase certain things in life. But do you know that some of the most miserable people on planet Earth are those who have a lot of money? Because here's the problem with money. If you have money without character, it turns into a curse instead of a blessing. Pastor Campbell taught us long ago, he said, that you can spend your whole life searching and uh, racing toward this goal, and then you achieve it only to find out that it destroys you. And many people who spend their lives chasing the almighty dollar and the power that it promises only end up being disappointed. We see right now we are in a political season of 2020. There are elections coming in the fall. And do you know what elections are all about? They're all about power. Who is going to have the power to make decisions in this country? Who are the American people going to elect to exercise the levers of government? And so that's why you're going to be seeing campaign ads. That's why you're going to be seeing debates. You're going to be getting uh, things in the mail. You're going to be getting phone calls. You're going to... All of this, why, does, why do politicians want to give out all these freebies with the hope that you'll vote for them to give them what? Power. You ought to be very, uh, you ought to be very hesitant to give anyone in this life power. Have you seen what local authorities have been doing with their power through this COVID-19 nonsense? Uh, who have been exor- you know, shutting down churches, for example. Even today in California, they, they are telling uh, musicians that they can't play instruments on the stage of their churches. And these little, uh, these little tyrants that descend down from their state capitals to tell churches and dictate to the people what they can and can't do in their own house of worship. 
thinking that a pastor doesn't care about his people enough to institute things to keep their churches safe. I'm so glad. Uh, I don't know if you saw this in the news. John Maxwell, a pastor in California, and he, he stood up to the government. He's there in Los Angeles County, and he said, you know what? We're going to have church. We are going to break your little fiefdom rules. We're going to break your little tyranny, and you can come down and arrest me if you want. We're still going to have church. And that's exactly what he did. Do you know what happened? The police backed down. They said, we're not going to come arrest you, Pastor Maxwell. And there they were. He stands up and he says, he says welcome to, to our public protest. And in his church service, he stared down the power that the government was attempting to flex its muscles over them. Thank God for somebody who realizes that politics also is a mirage of power. Some people say you can only get the, the, next, uh, the next position on the ladder of life, the next rank in the military, or the next job title, or if I can just get that degree uh, that, that behind my name, that I can get a master's, or I can get a doctor, or I can get a bachelor's degree, and just by adding that, that, uh, that credential to my name, that that means I'm going to have more power. No doubt there is some value in education. You might be able to get jobs that you wouldn't be accessible to before. But I tell you, all of these, the more you gain, the more you realize it's empty. It's empty. The power that the world has to offer to us is a mirage of power. It's not true power. This reminds me of when Satan took uh, Jesus up to the pinnacle of the, the temple. And it says, it says that he, he told Jesus, why don't you cast yourself down? Because, you know, the Bible says, Jesus, I've been doing a little Bible study. And you know what the Bible says? Here's the devil teaching Jesus about the Bible. You know what the Bible says, Jesus? The Bible says you cast yourself down and the angels will stop you from falling. And he says, oh, you know what? I have all of the kingdoms of this world and I'll give them to you, Jesus, if you just bow down and worship me. See, Satan certainly had the power of this world, had it to offer to Jesus at that moment. You know what the problem was? It was a mirage. Jesus is already going to inherit the power of the entire world. It was just not at that moment. There are those who use sexual temptation as power. There are those who manipulate others to gain power, who steal material goods in order to gain power. But all of these things, the world says no matter how much you achieve, will leave you empty. And so the only true power in this life is the power that comes from God. And if you want to experience true power, you have to know Him. Listen to what Paul said, verse 2. For I determined not to know anything among you except what? Except Jesus Christ and Him crucified.
crucified. I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I've preached about this passage before and mentioned quickly that, that if of all the people on the earth who had something to teach to the people about human wisdom, it was definitely Paul, right? That Paul had many uh, things that he could reach down. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees taught at the feet of Gamaliel. He was wise according to the world. He had, uh, you know, you read some of Romans and, and Galatians and, and Ephesians and the incredible wisdom that he had to teach. But he says, when I came to you, I didn't come to, to teach you some doctrine. I didn't come to give you a letter in a university. I came to show you who Christ is. I came not to know anything else except the simple message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Why? Why is He so laser beam focused on this message? Because this is the message of power. This is the message that still changes lives. This is the message that 2,000 years later can still have a powerful effect on your life right here, right now. The message of the cross. The message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And so this is Paul's goal. Why is he so focused on this message? Because the city of Corinth was in trouble. And especially the church. Because the church was in the midst of a city that was drenched in these prideful philosophies of the world. It was a city that was known for its philosophizing. It was known for its arguments and its doctrinal challenges. And, and uh, there was uh, the gods and there was those who would uh, have public arguments and debates about who was right about what. And in the midst of this city where uh, not only were there many philosophies to be learned about, but there was also deep and desperate wickedness happening in their midst. There was false pagan worship which involved temple prostitutes and various other disgusting things. But do you know, at the bottom of all of those things, there is still remains this truth, that all of the philosophies, all of the education, all of the money, all of the manipulation, all of the, the power that the world says can change your life, you know at the bottom of all of that is still cannot defeat the power of sin. <laughs> because all of us in this life are fighting against our flesh. And our flesh is what keeps us from experiencing the good life that God wants us to have. And so you, uh, you, you know, the, the universities are filled with young people today who go with all these lofty dreams of learning a new uh, a task or a skill that they can offer to the world, thinking that this is going to fulfill their life, only to graduate after four years still being a wicked person inside. They think that if I just get the right credential, then I could get a good job in a corner office and a 401k package 
and a, a, a house with a picket fence. And then they, they achieve all those dreams that they thought they would make them happy. And deep down, the problem of sin still eating away at their soul. Because you cannot fix a spiritual problem with a physical band-aid. How stupid would it be if, if people who come into my office, Pastor, I'm feeling sad. Pastor, I'm depressed. Pastor, I've gone through a divorce. Pastor, uh, a loved one has passed away. And what would I do? i bring a bandage out of my desk. Let, let me just put this over your heart here. That'll make you feel better. Let me, give you, let me give you a little pill that you can take. Take these and call me in the morning. How stupid is that? That's what the doctors, that's what the psychologists want to do to paint over the deep and desperate problems of our soul with a physical band-aid. What Paul is saying here is that the problems of the Corinthian church are much deeper than just what the philosophies of the world have to offer. This city full of human pride and sin, Paul knows that this small group of Christians and most theologians believe that Corinthian church was a hundred people or less. Small church. And how are they going to face the challenge of this wicked city around them if their faith is only based on intellectual arguments? If all they have is, uh, I, I passed the class that Paul taught me, the new convert class. If that's all they have, then Paul says this is going to be this is going to be bad. See what he's saying to them is that your faith has to be bigger than just what you know, has to be bigger than just the things that you've seen and you've heard. See nothing except the miracle of God's power is able to help them in this situation. Somehow this group of believers is going to confront this great and wicked city with their tiny little mustard seed of faith. You know, that's still true today. It's still true today that we are living in a culture that is soaked, saturated with sin. Soaked and saturated with perversion, with human pride. Soaked and saturated with the way of the world. With the philosophy of men. And how are we, the 40 people gathered in the, the 15 to 20 that are uh, watching online, how are we going to confront the thousands, the millions of those who are pursuing and pushing an agenda? We have to have the power of God. If all we have to present to our world is a nice argument, is a well-crafted message, if all we have is a, is a, let me show you my little pamphlet, my flyer. Look, look how nice the design of my flyer is. Not knocking it, Amanda. But how many understand that a flyer by itself cannot convince anybody of anything? It has to be the power of God. In the second letter that Paul wrote to the, the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4, 7, he says, we have this treasure 
in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Not of us. He says if we're going to make any impact, if we're going to make any change, if we're going to see anything different or anything happen with our faith, it has to be not because of our power, not because of what we can do, but because of God's power and His excellence. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The issue is, are we going to get out of his way and let him do that? Or are we going to continue to say, oh, I know how to build a church. I know what to do. I'm not saying that we should be lazy and sit back and say, I'm just sitting here waiting for the Lord to build his church. But I am saying that if we think we can do this in our own strength, in our own ability, are fooling ourselves. If the Apostle Paul says, I can't do it, I have to depend on God, then who do we think we are? The Apostle Paul, the most learned man in the first century, no doubt, in the church, and he says, you know what? I'm not depending on those things that I've learned. I need the power of God. So, how do we experience the the, the power of God. And that's where Paul says that the power of God is not something that needs to be hidden away, tucked away, saved in the closet of the church. No, the power of God needs to be the central feature of any church. It must be demonstrated. Demonstrated. Look at verse 4 again. He says, my speech and my preaching We're not with persuasive words of human wisdom. If anybody could put together a string of persuasive words, it was the Apostle Paul, right? I listened to some podcasts with some really smart guys. I listened to uh, 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 Dr. William Lane Craig. Man, what a powerful voice of uh, apologetics in our world today. If you don't listen to his podcast, you really ought to. Some really intelligent and arguments to uphold the, the Christian faith and to, to help us to argue and to be apologetics and all of these things. But listen, at the bottom of his arguments, he always comes back to the power of God. If you ever watch him do a debate, his brilliant words, his well-thought-out logical conclusions, is this, if this, then this, and then that. And he's got it so well laid out and he'll make his presentation, and he'll give his argument, and at the end he'll say, but Jesus Christ is not just a historical figure that we need to look at in a history book. He is alive, and you can experience him. You can cry out to, for God's mercy, and more than just an intellectual argument, you can experience his love and his mercy today. Paul is making this argument here. He says that all of my persuasive abilities, anything that I could say, anything that I could teach, anything I could write to you is not as powerful as you experiencing God's power today. See, this is why as a pastor, you know, I can preach 
find sermons. I hope that the sermons that I preach are, are helpful to somebody, that, uh, you know, that they keep your attention and they spark your imagination. But listen, if all you get out of a church service is, that was a great sermon, Pastor, then you missed it. You missed it. Everything that I preach has this end, this goal in mind, is that you would experience for yourself the power of God. The power of God. If all you get is the power of Adam Dragoon, then I feel sorry for you. You need the power of God. This is not something that I can experience for you on your behalf. I thank God that God has made himself real to me so many times, again and again. Even this week, even today, God has shown himself faithful. But I can't experience that for you. You have to experience that. If you're a a kid who grew up in a Christian house, I'm glad that your parents have had an experience with God. But you know what? They can't, your children cannot experience God through their parents. God doesn't have grandchildren. He has children, and that means that God's power must be experienced by our children. We can't do it for them. We can point them in the right direction. We can lead by example. But at the end of the day, we have to believe that our children will have their own experience with God. That they're going to come to the altar and pray a sinner's prayer of their own volition. That we're not going to manipulate them. Parents, we're not going to mistreat them. We're not going to manipulate or twist their arm. No, we're going to pray for them and say, God, you've got to show yourself. You've got to make yourself real so my children can experience you. As people come into our church, as we have visitors that come in and sit in these chairs, this would be a good prayer for you to pray. Lord, that they would experience you in this service today. Lord, that it would be more than just a nice message, more than just a nice uh, environment. We create as good of an atmosphere as we can. We paint the walls, right? We put carpet on the floors. We do as much as we can. But listen, carpet and paint doesn't save anybody. What saves people from the philosophies of this world is the power of God demonstrated. Now this is where it gets a little bit personal as we start to bring this to a close tonight. Is Paul says that the power of God must be demonstrated. He says, my preaching, not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration. Everybody say, demonstration. Demonstration. Let me ask you this question. How are you demonstrating the power of God? If somebody looks at your life, somebody gets to know you a little bit, is there something that you could say, take a look at the change in my life? I want to show you the power of God in my life. Because that is the most persuasive thing you could ever say to anybody. This is Paul's 
incredible truth. He says, it's not about how much I know, not about how much I've learned, not about all of the languages I speak or all of the classes I could give or all of the sermons I could preach. You know what what it's about tonight? It's about the power of God in Paul's life. He demonstrated it. He says, I was once the chief of sinners. Did you ever read when he said that? I was once the chief of sinners, but God had mercy on me. Thank you. Paul would give his testimony. In fact, we have four accounts of Paul's testimony in the the New Testament. He was quick to tell people because that was his demonstration. He says, you want to see what God can do? Look at my life. Look at how I used to chase after the Christians. I used to go after them. I would get the letters from the elders of the synagogues and, and, and it would have their warrant for their destruction and I would be the one who would be chasing after them. Women and children, I would be the one dragging them to their judgment. I was pursuing Christ and His church. But I met with God one day on the road to Damascus. God had a time for me. He revealed Himself to me. And I was not disobedient to that heavenly vision, Paul says. I didn't run away from it. I said, God, who are you and what do you want me to do? He says, I was converted that day. I was changed forever. And observe that Saul of Tarsus that was once a Christian killer became the greatest apostle in the New Testament. He says, don't listen to the things I say. Look at my life. Look at the demonstration. Look at what God has done in me. This is why it's so important for you to have a testimony. A testimony. So people are going to take notice. Patrick was just telling me yesterday he started a new job. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) and uh, some guy at his job uh, was asking him if he minded swearing and cussing in his presence. And Patrick said, well, you know, I don't care, but I don't cuss. Now, I promise you, Patrick, that is going to spark some curiosity in whoever that guy is. It already has. When you start to live different from the rest of the world, people are going to go, what's wrong with that guy? happened to him and that beloved that that distance between the way you are living and the way the rest of the world lives that is your opportunity to say let me tell you about what God did in my life let me tell you why I am weird let me tell you why I don't give my eyes to wickedness and my ears to the filth of this world Let me tell you why I'm faithful to my wife and my family when so much of the world is unfaithful. Let me tell you why. And this is why, Christians, you must have a good testimony. You have to live what we believe because that distance is your opportunity. It is your chance to demonstrate. Demonstrate. This is why we have to have lives that are different from the world. If your life is the same as everybody else, how do you demonstrate the power of God? 
How do you show them? If you're drinking all the same things they're drinking. If you're smoking all the same things they're smoking. If you're speaking with all the foul things that they are speaking with. How do you demonstrate the power of God? If you allow yourself to dive into deep depression and sadness at the drop of a hat, just the same way the world would. I'm not saying that there's seasons of darkness. Yes, we go through those times. But I'm saying that if we are in Christ, the power of God is able to lift us up again. And people will look at us and say, why are you still happy? Why do you still have joy when you're going through this and this and this? And 2020 happened to you. And why can you still lift your hand and say God is good? Because this is the demonstration of God's power in me. That's the most powerful thing that we have to offer to this world. And so as we approach this back-to-church season in a few weeks, we're going to be doing all that we can. We have, a, we have some flyers that we're getting printed. We have some nice little signs we're going to put up. We have some little yard signs that you can put in front of your house. I, I thought that was a cool idea. We're going to be advertising online. And all those things, yes, we, we, we do what we can, but all of them added up and put it together is not as powerful as your testimony. Show me the demonstration. And it's not enough, beloved, as we close. It is not enough to say, look what God did in my life 35 years ago. Because <laughs> that's easy for us to do. 35, 25, 18,000 years ago, I was a dinosaur. And God changed me from a stegosaurus to a tyrannosaurus. Okay. I'm glad for the miracle God did way back when. What is the demonstration of God's power today? How is He changing you? How is He speaking to you? How is He leading you? Do you have a demonstration tonight? Listen, God is not a class to be taught. He is a life to be lived. Christ is not a historical figure to be observed. But He is a Savior to be embraced. You know, there are a few things in life more frustrating to me than somebody who refuses to work. From the time I was old enough to get out of my house, I had a job. Except for a few times. <laughs> my wife will tell you about those times. But you know, today we live in the age of the 30-year-old artist still living in their parents' basement. And what do we say to people like, get a job, get a paycheck, work for a living. You know what I say to some Christians? I say your faith needs to get a job. Your faith is the 30-year-old living in the apartment, basement under grandma's house. Your faith hasn't done anything. In years, maybe. Your faith hasn't stepped out. See, faith is 
is, is what grabs the attention of God. Faith is, is, what, is what harnesses the power of God. How did you get saved? How did you experience God's power in salvation? Because you first believed. When you believed God, there was something released in the supernatural, and God says, now my power. Faith is what leads to power. And so, if you want to experience God's power again, if you look at your life and you say, I don't, I don't see a, a, a present demonstration of God's power in my life, could it be because there's no faith? Faith has grown dormant. Faith is unemployed. Faith needs to get a job. So my encouragement tonight is if you want once again to experience God's power, you've got to once again have radical faith. Faith without works is dead. William Booth said it like this, faith and works should travel side by side, step by step, like the legs of men walking. I say to you tonight, those who experience God's power are those who have greatest faith. I'm going to believe God. We're going to step out in faith. Uh, it was more than a year ago that we stepped out in faith, wasn't it? On a March evening, Sunday night, when that for sale sign went up in the corner over there. We had no idea how it was going to happen, right? And for more than a year, we thought this could not ever happen. But we believed. Some of us more than others. Some of us prayed. Believed God. And can you believe we're sitting in this building tonight? Can you believe it? Look what the Lord has done. I am so grateful. This building is a demonstration of God's power. I could teach a thousand Bible studies about faith. Or you can look at what God has done in the last year. Just look. Look around and see. I could teach a thousand Bible studies and preach a thousand sermons, but it doesn't have the power of a demonstration. And if you want to see God's power, you and I, we have to have faith resurrected in our lives. Let's bow our heads tonight and close our eyes. This church in the city of Corinth there were so many things happening and so many things going on. There's so many things that needed to be corrected, but Paul spends these early chapters focusing on the simple and powerful message of the gospel of Jesus, the power of Christ and Him crucified. Why? Because this is where the power for changed life comes from. He's challenging them, once again, to believe God. To believe God for miracles, for signs and wonders. And it's the same challenge I have for you tonight. If you want to see God's power demonstrated in your life, in your family, in your finances, in your friendships, in your, in, in, in your daily life, you've got to have faith once again. You've got to believe. See, God, He is not hidden away somewhere. He is not hiding from you. 
He is not tormenting you by running away from you. No. The Bible says that He is close to the brokenhearted. He is near. Jesus says, I am always with you. And if, if we're not experiencing His power, it's simply because we've lost faith or our faith has become inactive and dormant and unemployed. So tonight, I'm wondering if there's someone here as we bring this service to a close, heads are bowed and eyes are closed for just a moment. The truth is that your heart is not right with God. God has incredible power. That power will be demonstrated through judgment upon sinners. That power of God's holiness that will not that will not suffer sin forever, will not suffer disobedience. See, God is a righteous and a holy God, and His power will be displayed in judgment unless, unless God is able to break through to the human heart, broken and sinful as it is. You hear tonight, you realize your brokenness and your sinfulness, and you say, God, would you have mercy on me, a sinner? Lord, I don't know how it could happen, but I believe that your word is true. And all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And I'm going to trust that that is true. I'm going to believe it. And I'm going to repent of my sins. And the Bible says if you'll do that, your life will be radically changed. This building tonight is filled with the demonstration of God's salvation again and again and again. People who have been radically changed by the power of God, by the Word of God, made flesh, Jesus Christ. We've been changed miraculously by His power. But what about you? Young person, old person, religious person, non-religious person, church person, non-church person. Whoever you are, wherever you are, God is faithful to save. And if you're here tonight, you need His saving power. I want to pray with you. You're here tonight, you need Jesus. Let me see your hand. You're online. You're watching right now, and you know, you know that you know you're not right with God. You can reach out right now for a prayer. You can ask for someone to pray with you. We will get in contact with you. We want to pray with you and see God's power at work in your life tonight. You make it known. I'm trusting God that you're going to save me. Is there anyone at all, quickly here tonight, with an uplifted hand, say, yes, that's me. I'm unsaved or I'm backslidden. I need Jesus. I need his power at work in my life. Is that you? Let me see your hand quickly, quickly tonight. We're going to believe God. Let me speak to the church as we bring this service to a close. Church, without the demonstration of God's power, what are we? We're nothing more than just a social gathering. We're nothing better than the Moose Lodge that used to meet here 50 years ago. If the power of God is not demonstrated, then we're nothing more than just a religious gathering place. But God's desire is that His power would be demonstrated in your life and in mine. And if you're here tonight and you say, you know, I can't think of the last time a miracle happened in my life. I can't think of the last time that I stepped out in faith and saw God move in my life, 
in my marriage, in my money, in my children, in my workplace. I can't remember. It's been too long since the Lord demonstrated Himself in my circumstances. And it's time now to contend. See, God doesn't wait for special times at random places to display His power. No, God responds to faith. And so the call is tonight at this altar, the call is once again to revive your faith. God, I'm going to believe you. I'm going to believe you for my children. I'm going to believe you for my finances. I'm going to believe you for greater things. I'm going to believe you to change this wicked heart of mine and the, the habits that are pulling me down uh, back to my sinful nature. God, I'm going to believe you to set me free. And I believe tonight, if you'll raise up your faith, that God will answer with power to change you. And you will once again be a demonstration, a living demonstration of God's power. Amen. This altar is open. If God is dealing with you, why don't you come right now? We're going to pray. We're going to believe God right now to raise up a powerful demonstration of God's power in our lives. Oh, God, demonstrate your power in me once again. Demonstrate, not for my glory, Lord, but for yours. Demonstrate your salvation, your healing power. Demonstrate, oh God, your salvation in my life. Demonstrate it in my family. I want to see you, God, at work. Let's pray. Let's cry out to God right now at this altar. Don't leave this altar till you've touched God, touched heaven, touched his power. He's going to help us tonight. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website, vbph.org, and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.